Brought to you by Modelo. Oh. Brawlers, welcome back to Throwing Hands. Uh, I have a new hairstyle, I guess. Uh, alongside me is Daniel. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Jake. How about you? I'm doing good. All right, we're just going to kick this one straight off. Casey Kenny versus Haley Alatank. Casey Kenny came on the podcast a few weeks ago. I'll, I guess I'll link that in the description. Um, what are your thoughts on Haley Alatank? Uh, Haley Alatank coming into this fight, uh, uh, excuse me, 2-0. Uh, Chinese native, five foot five, 135 pounds, so a little bit undersized uh, as a bantam weight, but uh, a guy that's very well built, pretty pretty well versed at what he wants to do. Nicknamed the Mongolian Knight, which is one of my favorites. So he's put out in the UFC, fourteen at seven and one as a pro, and he's come off of four straight wins, uh, including those two in the UFC. Uh, he's mostly a striker. That's that's what stands out to me. He's a Got a couple submission wins under his belt, but he's a striker. He's got decent ground and pound. When it does go to the ground, he can handle himself. Uh, he's an interesting an interesting kind of fighter because he takes a lot of fights to decisions, but he's finished a lot of people with punches as well. So we've seen a lot of UFC or a lot of newer Chinese UFC fighters. I think he kind of falls into a similar mold with what we've seen with with the likes of Song Yadong and, and Wei Li Zhang where – He's striking focus, but if it does go to the ground, he can handle himself. And he's got good ground and pound as well. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to add to that. He, and if he f- sees a disadvantage on the, on the feet, he will go to the ground. He does like to grind you out sometimes. So I think that's, that's pr- a pretty important thing to note. But when it comes to Casey Kenny, this guy's as good as it gets when it comes to uh, wrestling. Uh, Second-degree black belt and belt in judo. He's won state championships in uh, freestyle wrestling and Greco-Roman wrestling. And he does have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. Um, he's he's uh, he's coming off a win, and the uh, fight before that, he lost to Marab Wallace, really, which made him unranked. So Casey Kenny is really looking to get back into the rankings here. What are your thoughts on Casey Kenny? Hey, you summed it up pretty well. You were able to do that interview. I was not available for that one, uh, but uh, looking at his background, looking at what he's gonna kind of bring into the octagon, uh, like you said, a really strong wrestler, a really strong Jiu-Jitsu fighter. Uh, and he's a guy that's been around that top 15 for a little while. He's very competitive, and he knows exactly what he's doing in the octagon when it goes to the ground. So he's a very talented guy and a guy that could stick around, I think, getting back into that top 15 with a win here. For sure. All right. So to Keys, I think for uh, Alatang, um, I don't I – th- his def- I think his best uh, move would to keep it, be keep it standing. But if he finds himself in a grappling situation with Kenny, his best uh, – Thing would be to gain a top position uh, and probably bring it to the ground and try to maintain top position. What do you have to say? I would agree. Alatang's going to win this fight uh, with his striking. That's going to be uh, where he has the opportunity here because Casey is such an outstanding wrestler. So, like you said, keep it on the feet. If it does go to the ground, he's going to be able to swarm. He's going to be able to scramble. It's just a matter of if he can keep that top control, which Casey Kenny's pretty good at getting a hold of. Yeah, and so for Casey Kenny, I think if he just uses his grappling wisely, you know, get it up against the fence, just kind of grind Haley Alatang out, I think this could be a pretty decent win for him. What do you have to say? Yeah, that matches up pretty well with my thinking uh, in that regard. He's 
going to have the advantage on the ground, even though, as we talked about, Alatang can go when it goes to the mat a little bit. It's going to be a matter of grinding this fight out, extending it over three rounds, keeping it there. And that's, that's where gonna, he's going to give himself the best opportunity to win. He's coming off of a loss, as you said. And I think he's going to be hungry coming out on this one. All righty. So predictions. I'm going to take Casey Kenny in this one. I think he's going to get this by decision. I think he'll uh, just kind of make, slow the pace down and just grind out this one. What do you think? I like Alatang in this one. He's, he's on a hot streak, four wins in a row, as I said. I think he takes this one in a decision. Alrighty, so to the next matchup of the night that we're going to review, Carlos Condit versus Court McGee. Carlos Condit, uh, there's not much, sh- he doesn't need an introduction. He's a legend in his own right, but let's talk about Court McGee real, real quick. He has uh, Robert Whitaker, he has beaten Robbie Whitaker when he was back down at welterweight, uh, karate black belt, and uh, he, he does have a judo and uh, jujitsu background as well. So he's, he's going to present a little challenge to Carlos Condit, um, because he does like to get into the pocket a lot. What are your thoughts on Court McGee? Yeah, Court McGee, as you said, is going to try to dirty this one up in the pocket, just throw with Carlos Condit uh, for the majority of this fight. He has really struggled as of late. He's lost five of his last seven. So he's going to need to, uh, to bounce back pretty big here against Carlos Condit, who has lost quite a few fights in a row, make that five in his own right. But these are two guys that are both older, that are both trying to get back on track as far as the late half, later half of their career goes. So I think this is going to be a really interesting fight. I think Court McGee has what it takes to win, but he's going to have to really, really compete with Carlos Condit. Definitely. And when it comes to Carlos Condit, he can get it done anywhere. Uh, 15 wins by knockout, excuse me, 13 by submission. Former interim welterweight champion, uh, did has fought GSP, and he did fight Robbie Lawler uh, a few years back for the title. Um, comes coming out of Jackson's wink very skilled at what he does I mean he's 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 not a legend but he he's almost there and I'm just curious to see what he does against Court McGee what do you have to say I think so as well like you said Condit uh, he's on this five fight win loss streak excuse me Uh, but what people forget is the first loss in that streak was against Robbie Lawler for the welterweight title and it was a split decision that he lost by so he's not looked good in his last fights last five fights but well, last four fights, I should say. He's been submitted three times and then lost by decision to Neil Magny. But he's coming back. It's been an almost a two-year layoff for him going back to December of 2018. So we don't really know what Carlos Condit's going to look like. He was supposed to fight Mickey Gall at one point, but that was eventually canceled. So here we go. Carlos Condit hasn't fought in almost two years. So really interesting fight. Two older guys, like I said, looking to get back on track. I think both of them are going to come out and be competitive. Definitely. All right. So on the keys, I think for Carlos Condit, I think he's got to chop down Court McGee's legs, make him not want to come into the pocket. He does have a two and a half leg reach advantage, so he can't. I think he can do that. Um, and if he has to, just just take it to the ground. He can get it done there. What are your keys for Condit? You you nailed it right on the head. I think that's exactly where we're going to see this fight go. And what are your thoughts on Court McGee's keys? It's gonna, he's going to have to turn this into a, essentially a kickboxing fight. Uh, get in tight in the pocket again against Condit. Uh, just just keep everything controlled uh, from that regard. Uh, make this a fight in a phone booth. I feel like I said that a lot on this podcast, but with guys like Court McGee, that's what they have to do. All right. So predictions. I'm going to take Carlos Condit in this one. Um, I, th- I, th- I think we see him get a little bit back on track here. I'm not saying he gets ranked again in his career, but, hey, I think he gets a win here. What do you ha- uh, By submission, what do you have to say? I think uh, Condit gets the win here as well. I think he's in a position where 
he's not fighting really top 15 contenders like he was at one point. I mean, those five losses he's taken in a row, Robbie Lawler, Damian Maya, Neil Magny, Alex Oliveira, Michael Chiesa, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. So Court McGee is going to be a step down in, uh, in talent for him, and I think that allows him to pick up the win. All righty. So we're going to skip the first fight on the main card. We might review it. Uh, there's nothing uh, – no, uh, not too many, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, ramifications that will come out of that fight. That was probably the wrong word. But anyway, but this fight, the Bantamweight division is a big night tonight. Jermaine Durandamy versus Juliana Pena. Uh, Jermaine Durandamy, former uh, featherweight title holder, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm probably wrong on that. Yeah, former featherweight title holder. Uh, top-notch kickboxer, Muay Thai cha- uh, slash Muay Thai champ. She gets it done on the feet. What do you have to say about Jermaine Durandamy? Yeah, Jermaine Durandamy, as you said, outstanding striker, does everything you want out of a, out of a kickboxer. Uh, it comes from that Dutch kickboxing background that we have kind of seen develop several fighters over time. Uh, nobody less than Alistair Overeem. So she's very talented. She's 36 years old, coming down the back half of her career, even though she's only fought 13 times professionally. Took Amanda Nunes to decision, which, uh, as we know, is, is really a, an extremely – an extremely difficult task for anybody in mixed martial arts, but she did it. She's got wins over Aspen Ladd, Raquel Pennington. She beat Holly Holm for the UFC women's featherweight title. And of course, that's somebody we're going to see later in this card as well. So she's, she's competed with just about everybody when it comes to the elite bantamweight and featherweight women in the world. And she's beat a number of them. Definitely. And I, she, she, I think if she wins this fight, she might get the next title shot in this uh, 135 division. But we'll talk about that a little later. But on Juliana Pena, skilled grappler. She has unrefined, but she, if she hits you right, you're going to the ground. Um, what are your thoughts on Juliana Pena? Yeah, Juliana Pena will mess you up because, like you said, she's got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, but she can also kickbox with the best of them. And she's got three, three knockout wins, three submission wins, and three decision wins at a 9-3 and three record. So that just tells me how versatile she is. She got tapped out by Valentina Shevchenko back in 2017. She's only fought once since then. Uh, but honestly, her record is very similar to Jermaine Durandamy in that she's fought some of the best and she's beat some of the best. She, she has that loss to Valentina Shevchenko. That's her only loss in the UFC. She's got wins over Jessica I and Kat Zangano, as well as Nicole Mon- Nick, excuse me, Nico Montano. So she's very talented. She's beat some very talented fighters. She's just had a pretty long layoff. She hasn't fought since last July. And before that, she hadn't fought since January 2017. So it's just a matter of getting Juliana Pena back in the octagon and getting her into a position to be competitive and fight at a high level. Definitely. So uh, keys for Juliana Pena, I think it's definitely in her best interest to uh, go to the ground here. I think for both of these guys, it's where, it's where the fight is fought. If, it's, this is, if this stays on the feet, I think Durandamy has the clear advantage. But if it goes to the ground, I think Pena will hand her, handle her own and uh, beat Durandamy. What are your thoughts? I think so. I think Juliana Pena, like I said, she took a two-and-a-half-year layoff uh, because she, she was pregnant, obviously had her first child has had some injuries in the past, but she's finally, I think, ramping up to the point where she's going to be able to fight at a high level. I think if, if she utilizes that Brazilian jiu-jitsu, she's going to have an advantage there, even though she probably can stand and throw with Jermaine Randomy. I think her best option is going to be going to the ground. Definitely. So uh, predictions, I, I'm, I'm going to take Durandamy by knockout. I think Pena, she's, she's, she's 31 or 32. She's a little older, and she hasn't been fighting consistently, so there might be a little ring rust. So I'm going to take Durandamy by knock, uh, TKO, not knockout. But all right, what are your thoughts? Pena by sub. Ooh, dang. You and I are disagreeing a lot in this one. Yeah, two out of three. Oof. All right. We'll see who's right. All right. Jorgen Nakasha versus Carlos Felipe. Carlos Felipe, uh, 
coming off a win um, against, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, Spivach. Uh, what are your thoughts on Carlos Felipe? Uh, Carlos Felipe, uh, a big guy, uh, like, like we've talked about. Uh, obviously, we've seen Jorgen De Castro in the past. This is a heavyweight division. Carlos Felipe, a big dude, six foot, 245, built like an absolute Mack truck. These are not two, you know, body guys that are going to be going out here and really striking and, and well, they will, they will strike well, but this is not going to be a pretty fight. Carlos Felipe, again, eight and one, kind of on the way up in this division, just 25 years old. Like you said, coming off a loss of his UFC debut, but he wouldn't be getting another shot here if, if the UFC didn't think he had a chance to move up. And in those eight fights, uh, quite a few knockouts, not really a submission guy. He's actually beaten a guy with a rib injury, which is kind of scary. But decision wins, wins by knockout. There's not a lot of history on this guy. There's not a lot of really clear reporting on his successes in Brazil. So uh, it's really that Sergei Spivak fight that we need, to, we need to look at when it comes to him. And it was, a, it was a decision loss. It was a majority loss. So, again – this is a guy coming up with a lot of potential that is still figuring things out. I think he's extremely dangerous if he can get everything put together in this heavyweight division. I'm not even going to add anything to that. But let's talk about Jorgen DeCastro for a hot sec. He's a brute. He, can, he, he hits hard, doesn't, doesn't bring too much volume, but he can become tentative after a while for some odd reason. If you watch the Greg Hardy fight after the first round, he really wasn't doing too much. So I'm interested to see if he's gotten over his tentativeness uh, in the past – uh, four months or how geez five months pretty much uh, since uh, 249 if I'm not mistaken so I'm curious to see what Jorgen DeCastro does here what are your thoughts on DeCastro? I think Jorgen DeCastro certainly has a place in the UFC I'm not sure it's as a top 15 guy I was really impressed with him early in that Greg Hardy fight and then he just kind of backslid as those rounds went on uh, there was talk that he had had some sort of foot or toe injury that kept him from kind of breaking down Greg Hardy with those leg kicks that were so successful early on but he's an entertaining guy. He's a guy that doesn't look like your typical UFC fighter. He's somebody you can get behind. I like Jorgen DeCastro. He's definitely got a place in this heavyweight division, uh, but I don't think it's going to get him a win over Carlos Felipe. All righty. So uh, I don't think there's really too many keys to get here, but I think the person who gets punched less uh, doesn't get punched as much uh, wins this fight. I mean, what are your thoughts on the keys? Yeah, I, I can't add too much to that. This is going to be essentially a boxing match. There will be some kicks thrown in there, particularly on Jorgen DeCastro's side. But these are just going to be two just brawlers throwing punches at each other for most of the time. All righty. So, predictions. Um, I'm going to take Felipe in the first round by knockout. I think uh, Jorgen DeCastro still might be a little tentative from that Greg Hardy fight to see how his uh, broken toe is healed. And, yeah, uh, I got Felipe first round knockout. What do you have to say? Took the words right out of my mouth, sir. All righty. To the main event of the evening. Number two ranked Holly Holm versus number six, Irene, Ald Irene Aldana. Uh, two boxers going at it. Uh, Holly Holm more on the kickboxing side, but this, this fight has a lot of implications uh, to it, and we'll get into uh, that after we uh, preview this fight. But Irene Aldana, she's a pretty much a boxer. Uh, she's, she's good at boxing, I'll tell you that. She'll, she'll put you to sleep. Um, and she does have a half-decent ground game. She can get it done there every once in a while. She does have three subs to her name. What are your thoughts on Irene Aldana? There's not much to add there. Again, a very experienced fighter. I feel like that's what we're saying a lot about these women's bantamweights is that they're very experienced. A lot of these women have been around in the UFC for a really long time. These are the women that built this division, and they're really 
still at the top, which is extremely impressive. I mean, Irene Aldana is 32 years old. Holly Holmes, 38. So this is going to be two fighters squaring off that have a really good chance to, to stay at the top of the division that they kind of built. Uh, as far as record goes, Irene Aldana coming off back-to-back wins, including her last at UFC 250, excuse me, 245 against Ketlin Vieira, who we just saw pick up a win this past weekend at 253. Uh, had a knockout there that was uh, named the performance of the night. She's an exciting fighter. Uh, she's got two fight of the night bonuses, a one-time uh, performance of the night winner. So she's also got the second best takedown defense in UFC history at 93.5%. So that's, that's pretty ridiculous that she's able to fight at that high of a level. She's able to wrestle at that high of a level in terms of defensive wrestling, but she can also strike with the best of them. Definitely, and she might not have to use that takedown defense too much, especially like a girl against uh, like a against a girl like Holly Holm. She um, she she's a pretty much a pure kickbox. She has gotten a little better at grappling on the feet, you know, putting people up against the fence and just wearing them out. Uh, she's very refined. I she's a former uh, bantamweight champion after she uh, knocked out Ronda Rousey, probably one of the most satisfying moments in UFC history. And she has challenged for the featherweight uh, belt. So. What are your thoughts on Holly Holm? I think Holly Holm is a legend of this division. Like I said, she's 38 years old. She's one of the women that built this division. She's been in the UFC since uh, 2015 when she made her debut against Raquel Pennington with a win. Uh, she's literally fought everyone there is to fight, whether she's beat them or lost to them. Uh, I mean, you look at all of her UFC fights, and they're against legit contenders the entire time. Going back five years, I'm just going to list off the women she's faced. Beat Raquel Pennington, beat Marion Renault, beat Ronda Rousey. Three straight losses, but they were to Misha Tate, Valentina Shevchenko, and Jermaine Durandamy. Win over Beth Correa, lost to Chris Cyborg, win over Megan Anderson, lost to Amanda Nunes, and a win against Raquel Pennington in the second fight of that series. That's freaking impressive. I don't have much else to add to that. She's fought uh, everybody there as the fight. Yeah, she's fought everybody there as the fight, and she's pretty much beat everyone there as the fight except Shevchenko and Nunes. But – We'll get into that in a hot second, but keys for Aldana. I think if she gets overwhelmed on the feet, she might it might be in her best interest to try and take this to the ground. Holly Holm is pretty strong, so you know putting up her against the fence might be her best option in this fight. Just try to grind out Holly Holm, work enough so that they don't get separated, but don't get too tired. Because if she gets tired, Holly Holm has a pretty good gas tank, and I think she'd take advantage of that. What are your keys for Aldana? You you hit it perfectly. I think that's that's exactly what the path for her to win this fight is. I think there's a chance for her to do it too. All righty. What are your keys for home? I think Holly Holm is just going to have to kind of not dirty this fight up, but just use her power to kind of settle Irene Aldana back. You know, I mean, turn this into a true kickboxing fight because Aldana is going to have the advantage on the ground. I think if she can just turn this, like I said, into more of a kickboxing fight, even a traditional boxing match, even closer to that, I think is going to be, the, the most beneficial for Holly Holm here. That's how we've seen her win fights in the past. That's essentially how we saw her beat Ronda Rousey was just turn it into a straight kickboxing fight. And that's exactly what's given her success in the past. I think that's exactly what's going to give her a chance at winning this fight on Saturday. All righty. Two predictions. Uh, Irene, they, so they fought a month apart back in, uh, uh, Irene Aldana last fought in December of 2019, Holly Holm in January of 2020. Crazy how much has changed since then. But I think – so these guys have had a similar layoff. But I think this will benefit Holly Holm a lot more than Irene, Irene Aldana because she's a little older. But I'm going to take 
Aldana, and I'm going to have her get this by uh, decision because I think she'll just grind out Holly Holm. Holly Holm's strong, but Irene Aldana is pretty strong too. So I'm, I'm interested to see how Irene Aldana will do this, but I'm going to get her by decision. What do you have to say? You know, we've disagreed on a couple fights, but we're not going to disagree at all on this one. I'm taking Irene Aldana in a decision. I think that is where we see this one end up. All righty. So to the women's bantamweight division and the state of that right now. So uh, Amanda Nunes has got this locked up, but Nunes is fighting in December for the featherweight title against Megan Anderson. So this this belt will probably be uh, up for grabs. Well, not up for grabs. But Nunes will defend it probably in April or May of next year, depending on how quickly she uh, disposes of Megan Anderson. So I'm curious, what do you think, that uh, implications are these two fights between Durandamy and Pena and Holman Aldana? I honestly think it kind of depends on when Amanda Nunes is going to fight again. Uh, because the way you look at the rankings right now, I think Jermaine Durandamy with a win puts herself in a position to challenge for that title if Amanda Nunes is going to fight within the next couple months. If it's, you know, like you said, April or May before that title gets challenged for, which I think it is, we'll probably see Durandamy and Holly Holm fight to, to decide who that true number one can t- – or not – not Durandamy and Holly Holm necessarily, but whoever wins the, the, the two winners from Saturday night, I should say, I think we will see get matched up if that fight happens later in the spring, which it looks more and like it's more and more like it's going to happen. I think the way the UFC is setting this up with it being the main event, it looks like the winner of, of Holm and Aldana is going to get that title shot. I'm not sure that's what I would want to see. I would probably like to see the two winners of those Bantamweight fights uh, square off to decide who the number one contender to Amanda Nunes' title is. I'm not sure that's the direction the UFC is going to go, but that's what I would prefer to see is I think it would give us a more definitive number one contender. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the winner of these two fights will face off, and then that will determine the next challenger. And um, dang, what was I going to say? So I, I just thought of this. So Jack Manson and Darren Till are fighting in December, apparently according okay. to Darren to Jack Manson. I think this middleweight division is pretty interesting because I think Israel Adesanya wants to fight by the end of 2020. And depending on how quickly or like how little damage, depending on the damage from the Whitaker uh, cannoneer fight, I'm curious to see who would be the next challenger. If Israel Adesanya does want to fight by the end of 2020, what are your thoughts? It's going to depend on that cannoneer uh, Whitaker fight. Because Jared Cannonier, it's pretty clear if he wins that fight, is the next contender, is the next challenger for Israel Adesanya. It's just going to be a matter if he can get turned around by the end of 2020. Uh, like you said, that Hermanson Till matchup is going to happen. I think whoever wins that probably is looking at the title shot in 2021. If Israel Adesanya is going to fight before the end of 2020, I think it's going to be against Jared Cannonier, and that's going to res- that's that's going to take a little a couple things going the right way for Jared Cannonier. first he's gonna have to beat Robert Whitaker and second he's probably gonna have to finish that one relatively early without taking a lot of damage yeah and uh Yo Romero said something that he wants to rematch but I mean I don't want to see that fight again <laughs> yeah I mean and, and Yo Romero's lost what four in a row something like that yeah so it's, it's, it's not in his, it's not in his best interest to do this but alrighty, to some uh, uh news we have a lot of news here uh, the UFC has offered Poirier and McGregor a fight uh, sometime in December. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's really interesting because uh, obviously there was talk about Poirier and Conor McGregor fighting outside the UFC in a, I believe what was being referred to as a charity martial arts 
exhibition, something along those lines. Those aren't the exact words, but I think that's how it was phrased. That's an interesting proposition because, like I said, it would happen outside the UFC. It would not be sanctioned by the UFC, obviously. And it seemed within a couple days, the UFC were the ones throwing that fight out there. So we're in a position where it's on the table for both guys. Both guys have shown interest in wanting to square off. And I'd, I'd be here for it. I would love to see that. I would love to see that in December. I would love to see that in January. I would love to see that in 2025. If, if it was going to happen, I would wait for it. I'd wait for it too. I, I'd, I'd be interested in that also. Um, to some other news, uh, ooh, what's his face? Oh, No Love Garbrandt has dropped out of his title fight in November against, uh, what's his face, Davison Figueredo, and has been replaced by Alex Perez. Um, what are your thoughts on that one? Flyweight division just can't get any luck, man. Just just when it looks like things are going the right way, Davison Figueredo is dominant as the champion. You've got Brandon Royville as your as your true, you know, kind of top prospect future title challenger coming up, looking so dominant. It looks like the 125 division is finally getting on track, and then this happens. You've got Cody Garbrandt dropping out, and you've got a replacement with Alex Perez, who's who's a great fighter in his own right. But this was going to be the fight that essentially, to me, had the chance to put the flyweight division back on the map. Because people who are diehard UFC fans know who Davis and Figueredo is, know how great he is. But Cody Garbrandt, when he was the Bantamweight champion, stepped over into the mainstream, had a little bit more appeal to the mainstream sports. And people seeing him come back and challenge for a title again, I think was going to put a lot of eyes, especially for casual fans, on the flyweight division, and that's not something it's had since Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson was dominating in that division. So it's, it's difficult because this was a chance for the UFC to put the flyweight division back on the map, and it's just not going to happen, at least not right now. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's, it's a really rough situation, I think, uh, for this flyweight division that was almost going to get cut. Um, and I think, you know, Alex Perez – uh, who did he fight last? Um, he fought back. He fought uh, Juicy Formiga. So I, that's a good fight. I think I think Alex Perez is deserving of this title shot. Maybe I would. I wanted Askarov originally, but I'm yeah. I'm pretty pleased with this uh, turnout. So I'm I don't know. It's really interesting to really interesting fight. Uh, and we have two two flyweight titles that night. So all right, we'll see what happens there. Um, one more thing. Any any other news you you want to talk about? An interesting one that, that broke this morning. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov's cousin, Usman Nurmagomedov, an 11-0, very highly touted 155 prospect, is going to sign with uh, Bellator. So Bellator, a huge coup for them, obviously. Khabib, one of the best fighters in the world. And they take his cousin, who uh, is, as a fighter, honestly, the spitting image of him, does exactly what Khabib does in the octagon or well in the cage I should say since he's going to Bellator but has won 11 fights in a row to start his professional career which just started back in 2017 so he's been extremely busy he's got 10 finishes in that time he won five fights in 2019 and three this year so Usman Nurmagomedov Bellator has been notorious for kind of taking older guys and putting them at the top of their divisions and letting them dominate and make money that way they've gone out and signed a guy that has pedigree has a ton of talent and a lot of experience for a guy that's just that young. 
Yeah, you make a good point there. You know, Bellator usually gets these old old legends like, um, you know, Mirko Krokop, Roy Nelson. You know, those guys are fun to watch, but they're getting old. But I think with the addition of Usman Nurmagomedov, uh, sorry for the uh, fire trucks behind me, but – well, in front of me, I guess. But, yeah, it's it's a it's – a, dang, I can't find the words. Um, it's an intriguing prospect. I'm excited to see where this goes for Usman Nurmagomedov. So – one more last thing I wanted to talk about, at least, uh, you know, John Jones and Israel Adesanya keep chirping at each other. I don't think Israel Adesanya understands what he's getting into with John Jones. Um, it's, I think it's funny how Israel Adesanya calls him an old man when he's only two years older than he is. And he's fought four more, fought four times more than uh, John Jones has. I don't know. I, I think Israel Adesanya just doesn't understand that John Jones can stand and strike with him and he'll just take him to the ground if he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's Israel Adesanya is going to have to put on a lot of weight for that fight. And even then, I'm not sure he competes with John Jones. John Jones is one of the best we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, not to take away from Adesanya, I think he's, he might, he'll probably be one of the greatest middleweights of all time, unless there's, there's, there's a difference between best in the world and best of all time. And, and that's the gap between these two guys. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Israel Asani might be the best in the world right now. He might be the number one pound for pound, but I think John Jones is just a, yeah. a whole other beast. I, I'm, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying they're number one in those categories, but I'm saying the difference between those guys, Israel Adesanya is, is very clearly one of the three best fighters in the world. For me, John Jones is one of the three best fighters of all time. Yeah, you make a good and point. That's, 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 that's a big gap. And the, the thing is, John Jones is probably one that, of the that's three not best. A, that's not a knock. That's not a knock on Israel Adesanya in any way. No. And I think, you know, John Jones is still one of the best three in the world right now. And yeah, he's been around easily. for for an absurd – he's really undefeated. But it's it's absurd. I think – I honestly want to see that fight happen just so John Jones could teach him a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And Chris Weidman uh, came out the other day and he, and he said, I want, I want Adesanya. I'm the only one that could take him Why down. I think Chris he, Weidman saying anything, man? Exactly. <laughs> what he's lost his he's lost four of his last five or something like that. Yeah. What are you doing, man? I get that you're a former champion, but stay in your lane. Yeah, I think he would present him a couple problems until he gets he kicked would. in the head. He would. He has no chin anymore. No, he doesn't. I'm amazed that uh, he survived against Akhmedov. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's I don't know. This middleweight division is really interesting. And hey, John Jones is uh, almost ready. I. I don't know if you've seen his workouts, but he's ripped. It's, yeah. it's scary. It's quite scary. All right. Do you have anything else to add? There was one thing, and it's not a huge story, but it was an in- a very interesting headline. So the last couple of years, um, a, lot of, a lot of members of the Gracie family have been going to Bellator. I feel like this is like Daniel's Bellator corner today for some reason. But a lot of <laughs> – because of Hoist Gracie being kind of tied in with Bellator the last couple of years, there have been several uh, heading over there. Uh, Neiman Gracie, Connery Gracie, Hobson Gracie Jr., uh, Halen Gracie is, is waiting uh, to debut soon. And then Thursday, Bellator 247, Kaiwan Gracie Baring is going to make his, his Bellator debut. So ahead of that fight, Kaiwan Gracie Baring, who of course is the son of Marcelo Baring, grandson of Carlos Gracie, has made an interesting proposal, which would be a Gracie versus the world card in Bellator where it would be, there would be a Gracie in every fight taking on various, various fighters from around Bellator mm. to kind of 
take the Gracie name that, of course, is so important to, to mixed martial arts. They're really the forefathers of jiu-jitsu and essentially mixed martial arts with beginning with UFC 1. But kind of launch that Gracie name back into the stratosphere of, of uh, mixed martial arts. I think that would be really interesting. It's something that, that's been proposed. And there's enough guys, there's enough Gracies in Bellator to do it. I think that would be really fun to watch. It would be fun to watch, but that's that's also a risky risky thing for the Gracies. Oh yeah, because if they get dominated, then uh, yeah. I mean, when when Henzo was um, around, you know, in his prime, they would uh, the Gracies would because they got money. They're like, hey, let's let's make the rules so that we give Henzo the best chance to yeah. win. So it's I don't know. It's not like it's not early two thousands anymore. It's twenty twenty and. With the way 2020 is going, I don't think they want to do it this year. I think I think it'd be in their best interest to do it next yeah. year. All right, I don't have anything else. What, do you have anything else? That's it for me. All righty, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you'll catch us for an interview. Uh, probably it'll probably be up Monday, but yeah. Uh, we'll see you guys later.